We have an exciting and entertaining episode today with Graham Newell. Graham is a professional speaker and behavioral finance researcher. He uses the latest brain science to show financial professionals and individuals how to make smarter financial decisions. He uncovers vulnerable situations when we all are susceptible to making impulse decisions. Um, As always, I would love it if you would subscribe to our podcast so episodes would show up in your inbox when they come out. And also, don't forget to schedule your 30-minute complimentary financial consultation. Email me at david at at parallelfinancial.com. That's david at parallelfinancial.com. And I really hope that you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chudik where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the Weekly Wealth Podcast, where we talk about the mindsets, the tactics, and the strategies to help you to build and maintain wealth. My name is David Chudik, and I'm a certified financial planner with Parallel Financial. And today we have such a treat. And um, talking about mindsets, uh, we have Graham Newell with us. And Graham's going to talk to us about how we all make decisions. Because let's face it, a lot of our own financial situations is based on the decisions that we've made over time. So, hey, Graham, how are you? I am doing great, David. We are going to be climbing inside of your weird, freaky brain, and we are going to be pulling out the most misbehaving things that you do that torpedo our wealth. Wait, wait, so We're you're saying show- I have a weird, freaky brain? Everybody does. There's no question. I've got one. You've got one. You got to own that. And that's what we're going to talk about today is those subtle ways that you're going to make foolish financial decisions that you won't even realize are happening. Awesome. This is going to be fascinating. But tell me a little bit about your background and like, how did you get started doing what you're doing now? David, I started out in kind of the marketing and advertising world. And what I was doing was taking people and throwing them inside of brain scanners. And then we were doing evaluations of ads. And I was primarily doing stuff on financial services companies. And it was so strange for me because we would put people inside of these scanners. And then we would just kind of go, hey, we're going to talk about money today. And we would just watch their brain just explode is what we would watch. The moment we even brought the topic up, we could watch their brain just react in an incredibly nervous way. So what I was really fascinated by was people's attitudes on money and specific ways that we made those decisions. So over the the last decade, what I've been doing is just using brain research to deeply understand exactly how we make any kind of decision, money decision or whatever, and then finding ways to help people specifically make more informed ones, to take those, those deeply crazy things that we have a tendency to do when we get around money and to resist them. Wow. No, I love it. I love it. Um, So, I mean, let's talk about the decision-making process, right? So how do you, how do I, how do we all make decisions, just kind of generally speaking? Well, David, what we have a tendency to think is, is that we, we make a decision by going, okay, here's the data, and I'm going to look at all the data and make the best decision and kind of weigh it like a Mr. Spock yeah, right. yeah. is what, what we're going to do. But what we know is, what brain research has showed us, it's exactly the opposite. What happens is that our brain was deeply optimized for life out on the African savanna. For most of human history, it's been about basic survival, things like not starving to death 
death and finding a good cave, you know, so that you didn't freeze to death. And maybe if you're lucky, finding a good looking cave lady to pass along your DNA to the next generation. Fancy skills like agriculture and living in houses, that's just the last 10,000 years. So as much as we like to think that we're making these incredibly rational decisions, what we know is, is that our decisions were very much honed during hunter-gatherer times. And our brain simply has not had time to catch up to that. Now imagine if you were to take a caveman and throw him into the New York Stock Exchange. He'd freak out. He'd have no idea what to do because he's all about basic reaction. And this is how our decision-making process happens. Generally, we have two types of, of, uh, of, of events that happen when we make any kind of a decision. First of all, there's our rational brain. And that's, the, that's the part of our brain that we generally know best. It's the thing that decides whether we're going to go to college and you know how to do math. And it does all of that great an analytical stuff. So that's one part of the brain. But then there's the other part, and that's our instinctual subconscious brain. It does things like, you know, tying your shoes and walking upstairs and all the things that, that you do just on an automatic basis. David, have you had that experience where you've driven to work and you realize you didn't have any of it in your rational brain? It just completely is automatic? Well, you know, and, 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 and another example of that is if you're an athlete, think about when you're throwing a ball or, or you're hitting a ball. Once you've developed that skill, there's probably hundreds of muscles involved, but, but once you've developed a skill, it just happens. Um, and, and, and so that's where the great athletes work. And, and so, yeah, so I, I definitely, um, definitely see, see the subconscious for sure. Yeah. And, you know, we have this tendency to think that, oh, we're just doing rational stuff. But that 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 analogy you made of throwing the ball, that's how we make pretty much all of our decisions. And what what we think is, is that we feel as though it's a rational choice. But what the statistics clearly show is about 85 percent of our decision making process is completely subconscious to us. Only about 15% of it is that rational brain. So what happens is we feel something, our subconscious brain decides what it's gonna do, and then our rational brain verifies what we already believe. And what we'll do is we'll find reasons to actually verify what was already there. You've probably met people that make decisions like, like this. They'll, they'll say things like, why did you cheat on your boyfriend? Or, you know, why, why was it that you ate that big chocolate bar? And, and they'll, they'll come up with some excuse that the rest of us are going, are you kidding me? Huh. <laughs> That's not why it is. We can all see it, but they can't. And so these kind of personal delusions are things that we do all the time. And particularly when it comes to money decisions, David, this is the time when we have to have the tendency to do it the most. Money can be such a scary topic for so many of us. We can end up making decisions because we get panicked or, or we get overconfident. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important to realize that we have this caveman instinctual brain. And that is how all of us make these kinds of decisions. So you've got to be aware of the fact that you're probably going to have a misbehaving brain when you make any kind of a financial decision. And you got to check in to make sure your rational brain is fully engaged. So every year around... <clears throat> the the beginning of the year when when tax refunds are coming out there are a lot of businesses that make a whole lot of money because maybe people are getting lump sums of of, of money that they don't normally have um how, you know what's your feedback on kind of the easy come easy go and you know hey i just got a couple thousand dollars that uh from the government and and now i can't hold on to it right i need to go out and, and maybe buy some unnecessary items i mean what's your feedback kind of going there 
Well, you know, the big thing, David, is that whenever we have a big win or a big loss, you have to remember that you are now brain damaged because those are the very worst times to make a decision. So when we get that big tax refund back, oh, man, suddenly excuse me, suddenly we've got this wonderful resource and we think about all the great things that we could buy with it. So what you want to try and do is to delay the decision because what happens is your brain gets flooded with those neurotransmitters that just light up your cerebrum and you've got to make sure that you are taking those impulses, those, those impulses that are going to make you do the wrong things and just give them 24 hours. So what I like to do is I make a decision and then I say, I'm going to revisit this tomorrow. Wow. When my rational brain can be more online because you've quite literally just like, you know, getting alcohol or caffeine, you've got to clear all of those brain chemicals out of your system because they're distorting your, your judgment. Mm -hmm. You've got to make it when you're absolutely calm. Now, the analogy that I always like to make is that it's sort of like a man riding an elephant. A is man what, riding what, an elephant. A okay, man riding to, an elephant. All right, break when that you, down for us. When you make a decision. So there's a man on the back of the elephant. That's your rational brain, right? You know, it is, it, it's going to do its best to influence the, the decision. But your instinctual brain, your, 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 your brain that is subconscious, it it's about 85% of the decision-making process. So no question, the man can suggest which way the elephant should go, but the elephant is in charge, no right. question. And your instinctual brain is in charge as well. So what I like to remember is that my instinctual brain is five times more powerful than my rational brain. And so what I gotta make sure I do is when I make an important financial decision, I gotta do it when my elephant is napping. I get it. Because that's when my brain, my conscious rational brain is most powerful. And when we really get into trouble is when we make decisions when we're excited or fearful. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Remember, you're on drugs at that time. Don't do it. Okay. <laughs> so we've had a crazy year. The last 12 months in the stock markets have been uh, pretty crazy. We've had some of the highest of highs. We've had some of the lowest of lows. You know, there were people when, when the markets were dropping last year, they were they're selling and, and we all know we're locking in a loss when we sell, um, you know, any any advice other than hiring a really good financial advisor like me, who would help you to stick with the process? I mean, what, what about like major stock market fluctuations? How does that affect people's brains? And David, you know, being a financial planner, that the greatest opportunity that all of us have in financial markets is when the markets undulate like that. Mm -hmm. That's when the real profits are, are made. But who are the people that typically get in trouble in that time? Those are the people that, that are giving into their instinctual emotions. Well, this is going to be the one time in history that portfolios go to zero. That's that's what I've heard people say. Mm -hmm. And you know, we've had over the last hundred years, we've had Democrats, we've had Republicans, we had wars, we've had depressions, and you know, markets have had down years and down periods, but they've they've over time they they do what they do, which is a pretty good positive return. Absolutely. I mean, it's been an amazing year for us. And the people that have stayed in and the people that have had that steady hand on the rudder throughout the entire time, you've seen their portfolios. David, I can only imagine the wealth that you have seen created over mm -hmm. the course of the last year. Mm -hmm. And did you have clients that basically bailed and got out? Uh, we had a few and we do our best. I mean, obviously it's their money, but um, we do our best to, uh, if it's appropriate. Now, if you were 75, 80 years old earlier this year, maybe you know, getting into a little bit of cash isn't the worst thing ever because of your time horizon. But anybody who had a time horizon, you know, our, our general advice was number one, we should always have some cash reserves anyway. 
um, all your money shouldn't be invested in any type of a market. And then number two, riding it out seems like it's the best uh, the best option. And, and it turned out to, to, uh, to, to be the best option for sure. So. And David, if you look at the history of, of the Dow over the course of its entire history, look at look at any 10-year chunk. There's never been a 10-year chunk where there hasn't been a positive return right. every single time. The market naturally goes up. And where people get into trouble is when they believe that they can predict the market. Hmm. So let me let me tell you a little, a little analogy that, that I always like to do that, that helps people understand this a little, a little bit better. Now, when a lot of people think that they're buying a stock, what, they're bet, what they think they're betting on is how a company will perform in the future. But that's not exactly true. Sure, a company's profit and loss is going to have a big influence on a stock price. But what we know moves markets can't be found on a balance sheet. What moves markets is investor confidence, mm -hmm. except it's not really that simple because you're not actually betting on how other investors feel about how that company will perform in the future. Now, you're probably a pretty busy person, so you don't have time to interview company leaders or talk to major investors about how other investors feel that company will do in the future. So you probably rely on a financial analyst or someone to do that for you. So follow me now. What you're betting on is how an analyst feels about how investors feel about how a company will do in the future, except it's not that simple. Now, you probably don't pony up the big bucks to buy the detailed reports from the financial analysts. So, you know, we probably what we do is we create and we rely on financial news services to get us that information. So what you're betting on is how a journalist feels about how an analyst feels about how an investor feels about how a company will do in the future. And odds are the information that you have probably isn't timely anymore and the market's moved on. But the problem gets even worse because you see all the people in this long chain of deciders don't have objective opinions. They're human beings. And unfortunately, each one of them is burdened with a boatload of moods and it's just wildly skewed perceptions. So maybe that analyst had a fight with her husband this morning and she's feeling depressed about everything. So, you know, her forecast for that company that she's sharing with you, she's probably didn't put her heart into it. Or maybe that journalist for the financial news service didn't get that big promotion to lead anchor and he's upset. So he's gonna, he's not gonna bother to get that second opinion on that IPO. But even if everybody in this long string of deciders does their best, all of these people are flawed human beings. And they're subject to these behavioral finance biases that I study about. So you wow. get the point. Absolutely. It's a house of cards. And if you think you're going to be able to beat the algorithms with your flawed human brain that hears a couple of really neat things on CNBC each week, you're badly deluded because what it's about is playing that long game. When we do that, all of those undulations, they get washed out. Why? Because the market naturally increases over time. And we get an opportunity to make incredible returns and an opportunity to not have to play that roller coaster game. So that's my biggest advice. Don't trust your instinctual brain. Don't think you'll be able to make these decisions wisely. And David, that's why I'm so glad your clients have people like you, because what you do is you keep people from making those dumb decisions. In those times when, when our brain is down low and fearful or when it's high and feels like it's overconfident, you're the kind of guy that comes in and says, okay, let's play the long game. 
Yeah, so I'm not sure if you've ever heard of um, the the financial author Nick Murray. He he coaches financial advisors basically on how to be outstanding financial advisors. And one of his major topics is that as a financial advisor, you are a behavior modifier. Um, you know, our firm we have a great investment management process, but no none of us claim to be able to predict the future. Um, but we do have a process and we follow the process. But other than that, we're behavior modifiers. I mean, we're making sure you have the right amount of life insurance for you if it's appropriate. We're making sure that your assets are appropriate allocated for you. We're making sure maybe you're thinking about the um, the wills and, and the estate planning documents that are no fun to think about, right? Because it makes you contemplate you know, you're not uh, you're not immortal, but we're 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 hoping to to make sure that those important tasks are are taken care of. And um, most of us on our own, we don't do those things, do we? Absolutely, David. You know, and those kind of blocking and tackling issues, they can be so intimidating for all of us who are not financial planners like like yourself. So those are things that we ab- absolutely got to take care of. We want to make sure that we've got very specific plans in place as far as tax strategies and making sure that we've got the right insurance and wealth planning and, and all of the, those things. Those are things that are, I, I think, probably the minor part of, of what a financial planner does. I think a lot of people, what the greatest goal and the greatest opportunity that a financial planner has is that ability to really vet exactly what their goals are, what they want to achieve, give that roadmap on how to do it, but then helping them stay on track with their own goals, mm-hmm. resisting that in- instinctual brain. Because, you know, if David, I've got a financial planner, and let me tell you, boy, at the beginning of, of this thing that, that happened, I found myself wanting to time the market, you know? I found my, myself wanting to come in and kind of go, okay, we need to sell now, you know? So, and, and, and my financial planner went, what are you doing, you know? You're about to make this mistake. And me, who studies this stuff all day long, even mm-hmm. I fall victim to it. Mm-hmm. And what chance do, do we have if we don't have somebody that's got our back, somebody that can be there to say, look, I'm going to help coach you through this tough time. And I think that's the greatest gift that a financial planner can give anybody. Absolutely. So what about just that person who just mindlessly spends money? We're not talking about buying a Lamborghini we're talking about you know just a couple times to Starbucks per week and and uh, you know a few dollars here, a few dollars there. Which I don't care how much money you make, you know, a couple hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars of of mindlessly spending certainly has could have a negative impact on your financial life. You know, what do you think about mindless spending and, and maybe some ways just to get a handle on that? Well, David, you know what we know is that the things that give us those little tiny hits, that Starbucks coffee or whatever. What the behavioral science tells us is that it's really about establishing habits. And once we get that that habit going, it, it's real easy just for us to continue it. I'm a big fan of mindless saving because mindless what mindless saving. Mindless saving is what it's all about. You set up systems so that those important things that you want to do as far as saving, as far as insurance and things like that, come off the top automatically to begin with. You don't even get a chance to even even have that money even show up. It's when we get that stimulus of, oh, I've got some good money. I've got some, some income here. That's when we tend to make these bad decisions. So if you can set up your goals when your elephant is napping and kind of go, I want to save this much. I 
I, I want to make sure that I take care of these responsibilities and then build up systems that can automatically do that with automatic payment plans and transfers. And those are so easy to, to do right now. You're probably not going to suffer a lot of pain because you're going to look at your bank balance and you're going to see, well, there's not a lot of money for that extra coffee right now. So I'll probably dial back and you'll be able to mindlessly save. And that's when it actually happens. Yeah. And another trick with mindless savings, if it is an emergency fund cash type account, put it in a different bank as, as your as your main account. So it's a little bit tougher to get to, right? Because if you can just transfer it over or, you know, there has to be, I think, a little pain or a little bit of work to get to some money that's that's meant to be some savings. So I love that. You know, it's all about friction is mm -hmm. what you want to make sure that, that you're doing. Anything that's a bad behavior that you can add friction to and anything that's a good behavior that you can add grease to, those are, are what those are what are going to really make the difference in really getting a successful financial future. Wow. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the, the author, James Clear. He had a um, a quote that was just life changing for me. And it was, we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. So let's say your goal is to lose 20 pounds, but your system is you're going through the drive through three times a day. Well, your goal and your systems are not, they're not aligned. So you're not losing weight. Um, if you're, if your goal is to lose 20 pounds and, and you have a personal trainer and you're keeping healthy salads at the office and doing all those things and your systems are, are in line and you'll move towards that goal for sure. And David, what, what the brain science clearly shows is that we have this tendency to deeply overestimate our ability to resist. You know, when we're lying on the couch there and we're saying, yeah, I'm going to get up and, and go jogging tomorrow. I'm absolutely going to do that. We really are a different person at that point. We don't know how much that pain is going to be the, the next day. And so what happens is we end up overestimating that. You've probably seen that, you know, particularly with any kind of big plan that you've had at work. Have you had that thing where the team undertakes some big project and they vastly underestimate how much work and energy it's, it, it's going to take? Right. Mm -hmm. Those are things that we do in our own life as, as well. So mm -hmm. what we've got to make sure that we're doing is as we're bringing these plans up is we've got to make sure that we try to make the decision of what we're going to do in the moment. So if you decide that you're going to exercise, then what you got to do is don't make that, that commitment to exercise when you're on the couch eating chips. Make the commitment to exercise when you're exercising, because mm -hmm. then you've got a firm idea of exactly the kind of resistance and commitment it's going to take because you're in the middle of that pain and you'll be able to make a much more rational choice of what the decisions and the behaviors that I need to do that are going to make that work. Like, yeah. for example, with dieting, you know, we, we have this tendency to think like, yeah, I'm going to cut back is what, what I'm going to do. Well, if you really want to succeed at a diet, make sure that there's not a single chip or, or cookie in the whole house. Mm -hmm. And if you want a cookie, you got to drive to the grocery store, buy one cookie, and then you can have that cookie. But that's mm -hmm. the only way. And the one the cookie is not a problem. Yeah. Over uh, time. It's yeah. the whole bag of, of, of Oreos that you down and you don't even realize that that's where we pork on the weight. So, you know, yeah. the human body can handle a cookie. But yeah. it's hard. How do you eat one cookie when, when there's a whole bag in your house, right? And we want to put ourselves in a little bit to where we've got that friction, where we're putting some bumpers on exactly what this behavior is going to be. So mm -hmm. at the very moment when, when we get weak, we've got to somehow do something resistant. One of the things that, that I love is particularly with, with financial goals, if you want to make some sort of any, any major financial move, I have set this goal for myself. I'm required to call my financial planner and tell them. Okay. Now, just the very fact, I, I don't call him very often, you see, because most of the time what I do is I kind of go, well, 
okay, he's probably going to push back <laughs> and maybe, okay, maybe that was a bad decision and, and I shouldn't do it. It doesn't have to be a financial planner. It could be your wife or your mother or whoever, but tell somebody, M make yourself talk it through. And by doing that, you'll bring your rational brain online and you're probably going to make better decisions. So 2020 was just one of them years that we can go on and on about, but why did people buy 17 cases of toilet paper? I mean, what was behind that? I mean, obviously toilet paper is needed, but what caused all of that hoarding? Because that certainly is not a rational behavior. Yeah, COVID, we don't know what, especially at that time, who knew what COVID really was? Are we all going to die? Is it going to not even come here? But, but what was behind such an irrational behavior of people hoarding products like that? Well, what you got to remember is, is that we're not these modern, beautiful people. We're still those cavemen out on the African savanna. And what was going on during the, those times of famine when we were out on the African savanna? Well, after a, a kill that we would do, our caveman ancestors would go to that elk or that deer or whatever, and they would just gorge themselves. They would just eat everything that they could because they had no idea when the next meal was going to come. And that was an incredibly realistic survival technique. So that ability to gorge when there's plenty and to absolutely panic and be frightened when there's not, that's what our caveman ancestors did. And it's no different now. We were convinced that we were going to starve to death and there'd be no toilet paper forever because that's how our ancestors did it. And when we got that opportunity to gorge and we saw that big, you know, 42 pack of toilet paper in the grocery store, we bought it. You know, but why did some people do that? And some people said, that's ridiculous. Well, you know, I have the normal amount of toilet paper and it's going to be fine. Like what, what made some people rational and some people not? It's those people that were in touch with their instinctual brain versus their rational brain. There are some people, some among us who are just naturally better at talking themselves off the ledge. And most of us aren't that great at it. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really important for all of your listeners to just realistically assess where they're at, talk to their family and friends and say, when bad things happen, how often do I panic? Yeah. And if, and if you do, then you got to build some guardrails. Those yeah. are the people that I love to work with financial planners on because those are the people that need them most acknowledge the fact that I tend to panic and that's okay. It, you know, would need to put you in a financial strategy that can deal with that. But that's fine. But the worst thing that we can do is to overestimate our ability to see it through a downtime. Mm -hmm. There are so many people that just think, yeah, I'm going to be rock solid through this time. And just by our very nature, we're not. So admit your frailties and say, I need some help with this and get some. Well, wouldn't you agree that, you know, some people say I'm a disciplined person, but aren't we all disciplined in some ways and not in other ways? So let's take the great athletes of the world that are just, they dedicate their lives to their craft and but then maybe they have some really strong weaknesses out, outside. Maybe they put all of their all of their efforts into their sport, and then there's there's adultery, there's there's addictions and things like that. I mean, I don't know. I mean, aren't don't we all have maybe the same amount of self-discipline just in different ways? Or am I, am I am I a little off base there? I think you know what what our studies have really shown. There are just some people who are naturally very disciplined, and and just basically they're really able to hold back those impulsive those impetuous feelings. There are some people that that are fantastic at, at that, but most of us will either give into those or we'll rationalize them away is what we'll do. We'll say, well, I ate that chocolate bar because I, I just needed some more energy. I was feeling a little down right now and I, I broke my diet, but I did it for a very good reason. You see? 
Sure. And our rational brain will completely justify what, what we've already done. And so it's just important to step into, I am not a self-disciplined person. And if you're not, that's okay, because most of us aren't. We want to make sure that we're building systems, as you mentioned about, that are going to help us stay on track with that. And we can do that using basic behavioral science. I love it. I love it. So I'm a busy guy. You know, I have some stress in my life. I have a family earning a living. You know, we had COVID. We had everything. We all have stress. When stress is at a higher level, number one, how does that affect our decision making? And number two, what can we do during stressful times to help us to not make the horrible, horrible decisions? Well, think about, again, back on the African savannah. What is stress? Well, stress is nothing more than fear. And what happens when we make fearful situations? So what I always like to think about is, let's say that a cheetah is chasing you out on the African savanna. What are you going to do? Well, you're either going to run away or you're going to fight. And right. what happens in investment situations, what, what we'll typically do is we'll do one of those two. Running away looks like sell. Okay, we're at the bottom of the market, but I got to sell because there's going to be more pain. Or we fight. And what does that fight look like? That fight looks like, okay, I got to get back to zero again. I got to do something drastic because I've got to make sure that, that, that this doesn't happen again. And those are both bad decisions. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think all of us, I mean, isn't it true that when we're kind of left to ourselves, we just don't make good decisions. But when we have good counsel, when we have friends, family support systems, you know, the, the proper professionals uh, with expertise, we just we make better decisions. I had lunch with an attorney a couple of years ago and it just kind of floored me. We we're just talking about business. And he said, yeah, I need to get my will done. And I'm like, dude this is a 10 minute job for you. You probably have some template, you fill in some blanks, you know, you're a young guy, it's probably not all that complicated. Why the heck haven't you done your will, right? I mean, you're an attorney, you know how this is important, but he hadn't done it, right? Because nobody made him do it. And he's doing wills for other people and getting everything else done, but uh, never dealt with his own stuff. And you know, this happens all, all the time because, and you could ask yourself why he did that. Well, what does our conscious brain you know, do? It tries to get us to do the things that are right. But what he was probably going after is that deep on an instinctual level, if he's reminded to, yeah, I'm going to be dying here sometime soon, that's just not a pleasant thought. And yep. so what does our brain do? It, it doesn't say, I'm really upset about this and I don't want to deal with it. What it says is, yeah, I think I'll answer my email. <laughs> And it just does a little switch and it's all subconscious. And we never even know that, that it happened. So your rational brain has got to be that kind of parent that basically says, I need to do this and I'm going to stick with it. And most of us tend to think that we'll just kind of get to it. And odds are you won't. Right, right. No. And, and one of the things I always talk about in most areas of life is purposefulness and, and trying to get off autopilot, which I think is kind of that, that African safari brain that you're talking about is kind of what I call autopilot, just kind of the things that just happen because they just always happen. Um, so awesome. Well, this is just beyond fascinating. Now, if somebody wanted to learn a little bit more about what you teach, do you have a website? Do you have a YouTube channel? Where could people learn uh, more about what you teach? You know, probably the best place to go would be my website. I've got more than 100 videos there on behavioral finance, all about the weird and freaky ways that we make money decisions. And most importantly, the specific ways where we can make them more effectively. So that's at grahamnewell.com. Now, it's spelled a little differently. It's G-R-A-M. 
E-M-E is the first name, and then Newell, N-E-W-E-L-L.com. And then also check me out on my YouTube channel. All my videos are also there. I publish two or three videos every single week on this. And it's a great opportunity, little three or four minute videos that'll teach you all about how to make smarter financial decisions. And your videos are very well done. You, it, it's, it's very obviously very obvious that you've done this once or twice. So very entertaining, very well done, even just from a production quality standpoint for sure. Thanks. Thanks, David. I, I started my, my career as a TV producer. And so I still didn't get quite enough love as a child, I think. So I'm still doing a lot of videos. <laughs> Good deal. Good deal. Well, we could talk about this for hours, but um, let's leave with um, one. I'm going to put you on the spot here. One biggest decision-making tip that you could give to our, to our listeners, uh, you know, geared towards money, but really just kind of a behavioral uh, decision-making tip. You know, David, I think probably the most important thing to realize is to step in to that emotional subconscious side and really listen. Who does that probably the best is the world's meditators, because you get a chance to actually listen to your fears and, and the things around money or whatever it is that really do motivate you to have the, those behaviors. So step into that, get in touch with that, and most importantly, bring people into your life that you check those decisions through. Before you make any kind of big decision, do you have those people whose wisdom that you trust? The very act of you having to tell somebody why you're making that decision will help you make a better decision. I love it. I love it. Perfect, wise advice. Graham Newell, we appreciate your expertise. Very entertaining. Uh, really brought a lot of insight. And I hope that our listeners uh, learn a lot about themselves and, and their decision-making processes. And uh, we just really, really appreciate your time and expertise. David, thank you for having me in today. The information contained herein, including but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.